Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Anytime you talk about Jesus' disciples, you have to deal with Judas. I mean, there are several disciples you can kind of overlook, but anytime you're going to uh, talk about the disciples who are around Jesus, of course, you have to talk about Peter and James and John and probably Andrew, Um, but and and Matthew, for example. But um, you can't ignore Judas because uh, of what Judas did. So we're going to deal in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study with Judas and his betrayal of Jesus. And one of the questions we're going to ask today is, why did Judas decide to betray Jesus. Uh, One of the reasons, we're told, is because of the money, the money that he was given by the priests to give up Jesus to them, as it were. So was that the main reason, the only reason, the real reason? That's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Okay, so uh, we are starting our Lenten series pre-Lent uh, because I know it's going to take longer. It, it made me surprised to hear that. I'm going to try to get through as fast as I can, uh, but uh, the Lenten series that I thought we would look at this year is... Uh, I'm going to, after the Last Supper, after the Last Supper, and uh, I thought we would look at the things that happened after the Last Supper um, and right up to the beginning of the crucifixion. So not really spending any time specifically in the Last Supper, not spending a lot of time on the crucifixion, but looking at, because there are a lot of things happening between the Last Supper and the crucifixion. And I thought we would look at those things uh, one at a time. Uh, in that time period, we have all of the trials, which that is with an S, because you think of the trial before Pilate, of course, but there's also a trial before Caiaphas. There was also 
a trial before Annas. There was also a trial before Herod. So you actually have four different trials that went on. Uh, you know, plus you have uh, Peter's denial, and um, you have what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane uh, with him praying and uh, with his eventual arrest. So there's there's a lot happening, and and as when we looked at uh, Resurrection Sunday last year uh, intensely, because the reason we did that is because. Uh, you deal with that usually on Easter Sunday, and we talked about it in Sunday Sore Church and a sermon, and then you move on. It happens so quickly, you don't really get a chance to spend a lot of time looking into all of that. And the same kind of thing happens with this, all of these things that happen after the Last Supper and just up into the beginning of the crucifixion, because you get into, you have the land and, and you start looking at some of these things, but then all of a sudden, it's Palm Sunday, and then it's Easter, and then it's over and you move on, and you don't really get a chance to really concentrate on all of these things all in one package, as it were. So I thought that would be interesting for us to maybe do that this year. So we're going to start that today. And <clears throat> the thing that we're going to start with today might seem to you as strange as the first the first step in this study, because uh it hap- it happens in stages actually um and uh the the, the primary thing that or, that happened did happen after the last supper but uh it 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 started it had its genesis before the last supper it actually had a part in the last supper but the actual thing that happened the actual event happened after the Last Supper, uh, and and I have it broken down into four different four different stages, and I call it the "Let's Make a Deal" deal, the "Let's Make a Deal" deal, and the first step is the deal. The second stage is the deal revealed. The third set step is the deal done, and then the last and fourth step is the deal aftermath. And the deal we're talking about is Judas's betrayal and the deal that he made with the priests to betray Jesus. And I, I thought this is a this is proper way to start the series because everything that happens to Jesus happens because of Judas's betrayal. If you don't have Judas's betrayal, you don't have everything else that surrounds it. Now, that's not to say without Jesus' betrayal that somehow Jesus still wouldn't have been crucified. Of course, that was God's plan, and it would have worked out some way or another. But the way it did happen, the way it historically did happen, and the way we have it recounted in our Bibles, is that the betrayal was the thing that got Jesus arrested, that put him in the trials and that eventually put him on the cross. And it, the linchpin of all of that is what Judas decided to do. So I thought if we're going to talk about these things, which all lead up to Jesus, Jesus crucifixion, uh, which of course is the point of Easter and his resurrection. But, it, but the linchpin of that is, is the, is Judas's decision to betray Jesus and the act of betrayal. So that's why we're starting with that today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 
chapter 26. <clears throat> this is where we're going to start. Uh, this is kind of where the deal, the first step, the deal, this is where we find it in, uh, in Matthew 26. Before we start with the deal, which you'll find in verse 14, I wanted to start with kind of setting the context of what was going on at that time. Uh, if you focus, and that's also in Matthew 26. So if you want to look first at Matthew 26, verse 1, verse 1 of Matthew 26, it says, um, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. The chief, then the chief priests, then the chief priests and the elders. So, this is, so that's what Jesus said. And now this is Matthew's kind of commentary. Verse three is Matthew's commentary on the 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 feeling of the time, the feeling of the of the time. He says in verse three, then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest. <coughs> excuse me, of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some what way? What do you have in your translation? Secret way? Sly way? Stealthy way? Yeah, all those are good words. It Basically, the word there translated in my Bible is sly. And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. The Greek word there for sly, it has the connotation of in some deceitful way. Uh, it has the idea of some somehow entrapping someone. So they started from the beginning of saying, we're going to, in some deceitful, entrapping way, uh, find a way to arrest Jesus. So from the very beginning, they weren't looking for some honest real, genuine way, reason, motivation to arrest Jesus. From the very beginning, that they were plotting in some deceitful way to uh, to kill Jesus. I mean, this was their, their plot and their plan, what they were hoping to do. Good one. Secret way, yeah. They schemed in some secret way. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to say it. And then they say, but not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So that's the prologue of what was the, the feeling of the moment was in um in this in this in Jerusalem at this time and among the, the Sanhedrin and the priests who were already looking for some sly, deceitful way to arrest and to kill Jesus. So let's go then over to verse 14 of Matthew 26 where we find the deal, the deal. So Matthew says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Uh, it's funny because um, a friend of mine and I, we I think I made Twitter before, we did a uh, Holy Week um, kind of dramatic reading presentation once in church and he he was he's good with voice as a matter of fact he now does professional commercials and voiceovers so he would always do i'd give him judas you know you get to be judas 
And he would get to where Jesus would say something like, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And they always had this kind of, you know, I can't even do it, but like, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? You know, it's like a really evil voice. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that gets it. So they counted for him 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him, to hand Jesus over. Uh, on verse 16, where it says, from then on, Judas watched. Do you have any other word there for watched other than watched? Okay. I'm sorry? Began looking? Okay. Yeah. For an opportunity to hand him over. So, you know, back then, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, back then, Judas was just a common name. It was nothing unusual. There was no stigma attached to it at that point. It would be like someone named John, you know, John, Bill, uh, Dave, just a normal, everyday kind of name. But today, is that hasn't that changed? I mean, who would name their kid today Judas, right? You just wouldn't do it. Uh, and... When we hear the saying, the name Judas, we attach something to that name. It has a, a definition. We all know the definition of Judas without even really going into it. So you can be talking about Judas and you think Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, or you can call someone or think of someone as a Judas and or tell someone that fell in those a Judas or we are a Judas and you you know what that is. And it has this, this definition now of, you know, being someone who is a betrayer of, of someone or something. They, they've been, they betrayed you. And I just think it's so interesting to see how that can change just a a decision that Judas made, uh, with a terrible, awful, wrong, bad decision, uh, and it's that one decision that then gave him a bad name and gave that name a bad connotation forever after that. And it just made me think, not to the same extent, but, you know, a good name is hard to come by, uh, and it can go away so quickly. You have to be so careful to guard your good name and be so careful about the things you do and the things you say and so on and so forth and what you're getting involved with and, and, and that kind of thing, because it doesn't, it, it can, I mean, in Judas, it took something cataclysmic, uh, cosmic in, in, in evil and bad, but in a smaller way, I think we can find that in our own lives as well. You have to guard your good name and you have to be careful because it doesn't take much, to destroy your good name. I think especially as Christians, we have to be very careful about that because people, what they say, they catch the Bible more than they read the Bible. You know, they, they kind of watch us and uh, they look for reasons to criticize us as Christians. And so we have to be, we have to be careful, uh, you know, as Christians to uh, what we're, what we're about because people, are, are watching us and we're representing Christ in the world. Like David said all the time, we're ambassadors for Christ and we really are. We need to represent him well at all times. Yeah. Great.
Yes, as a matter of fact, if you want to look in your Bible, I can answer that question specifically, kind of. Go to Exodus chapter 21, if you want to. Exodus 21, and it tells us exactly what 30 pieces of silver will buy you. <laughs> yeah, but it's still, it's still pretty much the thing. So in uh, Exodus 21, verse 32, it says, and this is, you know, from the laws of Moses, uh, if a bull gores a male or female slave and kills them, kills the slave, the owner must take 30 shekels or 30 pieces of silver to the master of the slave and the bull must be stoned. So basically, the 30 pieces of silver was the price that you would pay for a slave. Yes, stories. My footnotes say 30 coins is equivalent to 120 denarii. Mm-hmm. And it's customary for one denarii per minute when they were. Yeah. So if you do the if you do the math there, how many days of wages is that? Thirty days, one month. Yeah. So about a month's wages is what that was worth, um, and and the and the price for the price of a slave. Uh, that's what Judas was getting out of that. So um, we'll come back to that in just a minute because one of the things I really want to talk about today, and spend most of our time on, is. What was Judas's motive? You'd be thinking about this. What was Judas's motivation? Why? Why did he do what he did? Before we get there, though, uh, I want to look at this for a minute. But I, mean, I touched on it just a second ago. And that is uh, from then, verse 16, from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. And the reason I asked you if you had a different word for watch there is because. Um, you know, what Judas has become here at this point is like an undercover spy, an undercover spy. We've heard a lot about a spy balloon this week, a spy balloon. So Judas wasn't a spy balloon, but he was a spy within the ranks of the uh, disciples. And uh, when it says that he watched for an opportunity, uh, the the Greek word there um, has not only the idea of watching, but of seeking, seeking. I think one of you had a word that was more of like that, like hmm? Look, looking, looking. There's a there's a difference, I think, between watching and looking. There's a difference between watching and seeking to me. The, the idea of the word watch there in the Greek means to seek. Uh, so you could say that Jesus sought for an opportunity to hand Jesus over the salts. Yeah, that that is really more literally correct to the Greek. And I think there's a difference between watching and seeking. Um, I think watching means you're reacting to something. You're, you're, you're watching for an opportunity for something. You're kind of just waiting for something to happen. And you're going to react to it. But I think seeking more has the idea of being proactive you're actually you're actually working somehow to find to, to to create to kind of create an opportunity i would call you know seeking is is like 
active if you want to call if you want to attach something watching to to seeking i would call seeking active watching active watching in other words you're you're kind of watching but with a plan in mind so let me give you just an example let's say you want to buy a new car you want to you want to buy a new car well you can watch for an opportunity to buy a new car and if you watch that opportunity to buy a new car, you know, you might look at the newspaper, you might watch commercials on TV, you know, you're kind of watching for an opportunity to find a new car. That's different than seeking to buy a new car. If you're seeking to buy a new car, you're more proactive in it, right? Watching to buy a new car, you're going to react to something when you find something that looks good to you. But if you're seeking to buy a new car, you're going to Look online. You're going to go to car dealers. You're going to tell people that you're looking for a new car. Do you have one? You know, so so that to me is the idea. There's there's watching or there's seeking, and seeking is an act of watching, which means you kind of you're kind of watching with a plan. You're kind of watching with a plan. Yeah, agree. You watch. You're not going to Buying your time, I'm seeking to buy a new car. I keep on looking because we need the car. Exactly right. So I looked up in my um, in my Greek uh, translation uh, lexicon, and here's uh, here's a definition of watching as it's as it's here in this uh, verse, and it says it means to seek to seek by thinking meditating, reasoning to inquire into something. So you're seeking, you're thinking about it, you're meditating, you're like, you're reason. So basically what it is, is it's watching with a plan. So what I'm saying is that Judas was watching, but he was watching and thinking. He was watching and had a plan. And eventually what it comes down to is uh, Judas comes to the point and he says to himself, you know, in the past few years, when we come to Jerusalem for Passover, Jesus has always, after we have the Passover meal, he's always taken us over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we've always spent time over there kind of meditating and praying and that kind of. This is something that he has done. This has kind of been the pattern of what he's done in the past. So, you know, Jesus is watching and thinking and he's thinking and he's looking for an opportunity and he's being proactive now and he's thinking, so if he does what he normally does after the Passover meal, he's going to be at the garden alone with just his disciples. That might be the perfect chance for us to go get him with the priests. So, I think it was he was watching, but he wasn't reactive in that. He was proactive. He was thinking with a plan. He was watching with a plan, and his plan was: if Jesus does what he normally does, then that's the chance for us to to go and arrest him, and to, to, for the priests to do what they're going to do. So, so okay. So all of that is prologue to I think what I wanted to talk about today for the most for the most part was why do you think why do you think Judas did this. And I thought we needed to start with the first most obvious answer to that question, 
which Matthew gives us, actually, in this passage. If you just go by what Matthew says in this passage, what was the reason that Judas did what he did? What was the motivation for him to betray Jesus? Money. Greed. Well, but that's what Matthew says, right? Matthew says, uh, he, he says, Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? You don't think so? Well, hmm? there was a lot more to it. Well, it's more like he was a zealot, and he wanted to. He wanted Jesus to totally reveal himself. Well, let's back up just a minute. We don't have any reason. There's no reason in Scripture. These are things we've added to the story. Okay, there is nothing in the Bible that says that Judas was a zealot. Now we know that there was a zealot named uh, Simon. They call him Simon the Zealot. In scripture. So Judas perhaps was a zealot, but we can't assume that to be true. Maybe so, maybe not. I think let's just back up a minute. Let's just back up a minute and let's just take it one step at a time. What we know for a fact, what we know for a fact beyond any question is that he did it for money. He did it for some something in return. He wanted something in return. <clears throat> and um, so he goes to the chief priest, and he knows because of what we just read that the climate of the times that they're trying to find a reason to arrest Jesus. And uh, so he is willing now to help them to do this. And Matthew tells us that he went and said to them, what are you willing to give me? In other words, why my pocket in some way? So what does this? So what this tells us? Uh, what this does tell us about uh, Judas is that money was very important to him, right? Well, but at this point he doesn't know how much he's going to get, right? He he goes in. So that's another question I want to have. He goes in and he he doesn't he doesn't put any. He's not like a kidnapper who says, "Give me a million bucks." He goes in and he says, what are you willing to give me? He doesn't know what they're going to offer him. He just wants to get something, something. Jeff, you're going to say? He doesn't love Jesus. I'll go with you on that. Absolutely right. Correct. Correct. So, um, so when he goes and asks for what we do is it? He had the real respect for Jesus and uh, really no love from him like the others. So it was, it was his mind and his armor. He obviously was different from the other 11, wasn't he? Because he's the only one who steps up and does this. So what it tells us is that what you said is true. He, he doesn't have that same relationship with Jesus that the other 11 do. And and above and beyond that relationship with Jesus, his uh, his 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 desire is to use Jesus as his meal ticket. Okay, 
Because Jesus has been his meal ticket up till now. Why? How was how was Jesus his meal ticket up till now? Okay, look at let's go let's let's go to John just a minute. Let's go to John. Turn over to John. John chapter twelve. John twelve. Because John has something to say about Judas, too. So John 12, and we're going to start with, um, let's go with verse 4. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Uh, this was to the perfume and the anointing to Jesus. Uh, verse 5, Why he says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And then John's commentary on this is that Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. That's what I was going to say. Because in the, in the chosen, Judas was a keeper of the, of the, the money. Yeah. And the word thief there in the Greek is, you're going to love this. Guess what the word is for thief there in Greek? Klepto. Truly. Now you know where the word comes from, right? And if the, the definition in the Greek is it means to steal secretly, stealthily, to steal something in secret. So, see, Jesus was Judas' mule ticket from the very beginning because whatever, whenever Jesus needed a little extra money, he just dipped into the common bag and used it on himself. Because it was secret. Oh, no one knew it. <laughs> well, because this John is writing this after the fact. Well, I'm sure that they compared notes or whatever. They found out afterwards that he was doing it. But so, so that, that brings up the question, too, is that why did they put Judas in charge of the money bag? I mean, you have two, two choices there, actually. One is that he volunteered to do it. Hey, guys, let me handle the money, you know? <laughs> so maybe no one was strong enough to say, 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 why should you handle the money, you know? So possibly, and you know, if Judas was materialistic, which he obviously must have been, if money was important to him, as it obviously was, if things, material things were important to him, as they obviously were, then who who back who then why would you know that that explains to us why he would volunteer to keep the money back? Volunteers. Yeah, but if money's involved. Okay. Uh, nobody wants to be in charge of money, so nobody really wants that. You know what I mean? So when someone Exactly. When someone volunteers to do something, you don't usually think. Uh, you know, dude, probably not. He usually said, okay, fine, we're glad you're willing to do it. Of course, none of us can do that. But I just wonder how much of these little side marks that they made after the fact were because they wanted to disparage him. I don't know. Well, I think they just they didn't want any positive things being connected with his name. I think it was well, everything they said was true, 
but they wanted to officially put it in the record so we knew this guy was bad from the beginning. He was never good. Okay, let's get that straight. Judith was never good. He was pretending to be good, okay? And we have a lot of pretenders, and I hate to say it, in the church today. Uh, some of them in the pulpit, I hate to say. And they're just pretending. They're not good. They've never been good. They're not going to be good unless they come uh, have a come to Jesus reckoning. Well, you know, you're, that's, a, that's beyond my pay grade. I'm going to have to tell you then. What we'll have to have that conversation with Jesus someday, okay? That's all I can tell you. Uh, and but my question comes up too is that if you're going, but but if you're going to assign someone to be the treasurer, usually in this church, okay, if we're going to assign someone or ask someone to be the treasurer of the church, you're going to have to what? have some qualification for that, right? You're not going to ask me. I am, I know nothing about banking. You know, I'm barely able to pay my bill every month, okay? So but don't ask me to run the church finance. You're going to ask someone who has experience in that, someone who's what? Good with money. I'm sorry, Cheryl? Yeah, right. You want someone to be honest, first of all. <laughs> Not only be good with money, but also be honest sometimes. That's a good point. Because Matthew, he was a tax collector, right? He dealt with money all day, every day. If you were going to say, who should carry the money bags? Who should be the treasurer? Your first arousal would be, well, Matthew should be, obviously. But he wasn't. So one of two things is happening there. Either he volunteered and they didn't say no, or uh, he was legitimately seen for some reason to be good with money, maybe even as good as Matthew or better than Matthew for some reason, or Matthew said, I want nothing to do with it, right? I spent my whole time being looked upon as the bad guy because I handled the money. And I don't know about Matthew before he came to Christ, but most tax collectors cheated people. Most tax collectors, tax collectors were thieves themselves. And so if Matthew had that felt himself that he had that stigma attached to him because dealing with money and that if he dealt with money, people would look askance at him and wonder if he's being honest and so forth. Maybe Matthew said, no, I'm out, not me. I want nothing to do with handling money anymore. I'm done with that. That's an old lie. And I think maybe that has had something to do with it too. But for whatever reason, uh, Judas is chosen, and Judas is using Jesus as his meal ticket. And uh, he's coming up to the point now where he's kind of getting a different vibe from Jesus than he has up to this point. And he might be thinking that this ship is sinking. And he might be reading the times and the wind, and he might be saying, my meal ticket's about to come to an end, and I have one last chance to make something out of this situation, and who better to go to than the priests to get one last big payoff before 
the mil- the, 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 the money train ends and I'm out. So let's go and get what we can get at this at this point. That leads me to another question is, when Judas talks to the priests, is there a negotiation? Did they negotiate 30 pieces of silver? Or was this just this, this is what you get, take it or leave it? We don't know for sure. Doris, what, what do you think, though? I think he was careful. I think he realized what he was doing was treading off thin ice, and he just took the first offer. That was their offer, and that's what he took. It's possible. It's still a very small amount of money, though, isn't it? What were we doing off? Yeah, I mean, he obviously must not. I mean, if he's stealing from the money bags of the disciples, he obviously wasn't wealthy. So maybe thirty, maybe thirty pieces of silver to him was important. Maybe that was a lot of money to him. Or maybe you know, maybe he went to them and they said, "Well, we'll give you ten pieces of silver." And he goes, "Ah, Bill, I don't want a hundred pieces." And they said, "Okay, we'll give you twenty. I don't want you know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just getting negotiated, and he ended up with thirty. He felt good about getting thirty. I don't know." To carry, to carry him out. <laughs> no, but I tell you one thing that I think the Lord would want us to pull out of this, and that is that Satan can use money to get you off course in your Christian walk. Money can get you off the course of your Christian walk because the love of money, right? The love of money can make you do things that you wouldn't normally do as a Christian. You know, the love of money, you can, you can, you can find yourself cheating to to get money, lying to get money, stealing to get money. I, I mean, Jeff, I'm sure you travel when in business. I used to travel when I in my business, and we have an expense account, and it is easy to pad your expense account and get money that you haven't spent. Because who knows? I mean, they just trust you. Your business usually does. You have to have receipts and so forth. But, you know, you can put things in there and end up with uh, more money. You can you can say you traveled more miles than you did. You usually get reimbursed for mileage. So forth. It gets easy to do. But that lying and that's cheating. And as a Christian, you can't do that. But a lot of people are doing that. I think, you know, uh, because it's easy to do and it's sound money. but you know, the, the love of money can make you make bad decisions about things. Then you can, maybe you want to, you begin to, you can find yourself gambling. And not, not just gambling, but going to the casino gambling, but you're gambling on investments or you're gambling on businesses or whatever you're doing to try to make a buck or make a quick buck. And that can all come back to, to haunt you. And then you end up doing things that you shouldn't be doing as Chris. Matter of fact, look at first, we'll finish with this and we'll, Come back to this next week. Let's go to First Timothy. First Timothy, which is right after Thessalonians, um, and before Second Timothy. So, First uh, Timothy chapter six, and we're going to go to verse nine, and this is Paul saying. Paul says in First uh, Timothy six nine, people who want to get rich. Fall into temptation and a trap, 
and the end, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So I think that that is what we're finding here. The, the lesson that we can take out of the first, the first motivation, the first reason as to why Judas did what he did is the greed that he had. Uh, he was a materialistic person. Money was important to him. Things were important to him. He felt like his rainy train was ending. He wanted to make one last cash in uh, of Jesus' uh, name. And this is the way he felt he could do it. And it was the love of money that Satan used to get him off course um, and to do what he did. Uh, and 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 that's the way it ended up. And we have to be careful not let the same thing happen to us to get up off course uh, in our Christian walk and relationship. Because the, the one thing that can really put us in the wrong path is is the love of money and that kind of thing. So there are there are other motivations which I'm going to talk about next week. I want to talk about the motivation which Grady started to get into to I cut her off though impolitely is that maybe his motivation was to force Jesus into taking over as Messiah and establish his kingdom. We're also going to look into what Jeff hinted at, and that was perhaps Judas never did see Jesus as the Messiah. Maybe he was more in the camp of the priests the whole time, uh, and especially at the end. Um, and maybe a, 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 a theory that William Barclay has in his commentary is that Judas just became disillusioned uh, with what was happening and that disillusionment turned into hatred, and he he hated, he ended up hating Jesus because Jesus wasn't doing what he thought he should be doing. And so he got to the point where he just hated Jesus so much because of that, that this was his way to kind of get back at Jesus kind of thing. So that's kind of one of the things. So we're going to take a look at those next week and some other things. But um, Wasn't that 30 pages of yeah, I believe it was. I believe it was. Yeah. So, and I think the thirty pieces of silver is significant because it does have it does have meaning, and uh, the meaning in context with the the just the you know the price of a here is Jesus Messiah God God incarnate and he's being betrayed for the price of a slave, and how you know how little um, how little. Judas really understood what Jesus was about and who he was. And in a way, that's really reflective of a lot of people in the world today, even, that they just don't understand and appreciate who Jesus is. And as a, as a result, they are going to live lives enslaved when they could be freed, um, you know, for, for the price of a slave, they end up, uh, you know, he ends up betraying uh, the Savior of the world. Just a terrible, a terrible underestimation and misunderstanding of who Jesus was and, and what he came to do. So, 
All right, so that's it for today, and we'll come back and look at those other motivations next week and look at some other things. The second part, we'll kind of get into that next week probably too, which is the deal revealed, set two. This was the deal. Next week, we'll finish up and look also into the deal revealed, which is when Jesus confronts um, uh, Judas during the Last Supper and reveals that, hey, I know what you're doing and what you're up to and how that goes for, for him at that point. So, okay. Go on for today, guys. That concludes this episode of where's God finding him in the small stuff Bible study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and he's given you some new insight into who he is and how much he loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.